0: This morning's sermon text is from Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 16. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law because by works of the law, no one will be justified. This is the word of the Lord.
1: You may be seated. Thank you, Gage. Pray with me as we start. Father, I thank you that you have given us a gospel, and it's not something that merely introduces us to you. It's something that helps us to progress in our relationship with you. Help us to do that today, to walk this line that you've called us to. And it's in Jesus' name, everybody says... Amen. So if I could recap, we have been a few, very few weeks ago, we spent some time in Galatians chapter one and we learned what the gospel is and the gospel is Jesus plus nothing. You guys learned well, and now we're spending a little time in Galatians chapter two in this little event that takes place. And we've talked about there are in Galatians chapter two, there are two visits. One visit is Paul going to Jerusalem, and that's the beginning of chapter 2, to visit uh, the apostles in Jerusalem and to compare notes with what he's teaching and what they're teaching. And while he's there, he, he finds that The gospel that he was given by Jesus is no different than the gospel that they were given by Jesus and that their notes line up exactly. There's a circumcision group. I'm going to stumble on that today. The circumcision group that pops up in Acts chapter 15 and the apostles and Paul are able to say to this group, no, that's not the gospel. They were wanting to add to the gospel specifically to keep the Mosaic law uh, as a part of salvation. You're You're not saved in their eyes unless you believe in Jesus and you keep some of the law of Moses, the Ten Commandments. And so the apostles and Paul are able to say to this group, no, that's not the gospel. And that's the first visit. The second visit is actually Peter coming from Jerusalem to Antioch, where Paul and all of his uh, brothers are. Barnabas is there and they are leading the church in Antioch and Peter comes to visit and Peter, when he gets to Antioch, it is a church full of Greeks. It is a church full of Gentiles. And Peter accepts these Gentile brothers because we know his background, right? We can go back to Acts chapter 10. And in Acts chapter 10, he was given a dream. Peter was. Peter saw this dream, and the dream had sheets full of animals. They were both clean and unclean. In other words, they were They were filled with what Jewish people would eat, but they were also filled with what Gentile people would eat. And the message that God sends him in this vision is that Gentiles are totally accepted by God, despite the fact that they do not hold to Jewish dietary traditions, to the law of Moses. They are accepted based on the cross of Christ. And so Peter, for the first time in his life, realizes, you know what? This gospel is for everybody. This gospel is for everybody. And we are made right with God because of what Jesus has done on the cross and nothing else. And so no man needs to become a Jewish person in order to be seen as right in the eyes of God. And so Peter realizes all the, for the first time that there is an equality to the gospel. And he begins to fellowship with Gentile believers. He doesn't have any problem doing this. And when he comes down to visit Paul in Antioch, he begins to eat with the Gentile brothers there. Then a circumcision group pops up and they come from Jerusalem down to Antioch. And Peter knows that they're coming. And all of a sudden he's afraid because he's... He's worried about what they're going to think of him when they see him eating with Gentiles, with non-Jewish people. You're eating foods that a Jewish person shouldn't eat, and he's fearful. And so the text says he draws back. He retreats. He calculated in a calculated way, divorces himself from the Gentile brothers that he had been eating with, and... When Paul sees what he's doing, Paul pops up, Paul opposes him and says, you're not walking in line with the gospel. And he calls him back to the gospel. And that this event that is happening here in Galatians chapter two, if, if Galatians chapter one is about what the gospel is, then Galatians chapter two is about how the gospel operates, how it works in our life. The traditional path is this, that the gospel gets me into the kingdom. It gets me into the family of God. And then, and this is just a natural way of thinking. This is the way we all kind of gravitate if if the natural course is followed. Then we feel like it's our effort in following biblical principles that uh, cause us to grow and to mature. Verse 14 is going to declare a different path for us. Verse 14 is going to say that the gospel gets me into the kingdom, absolutely, but it's also the gospel that is the way I make progress in the faith. The gospel is how I keep on following this way that I've been called to when I've been called to the family of God. To walk the line of the gospel is what is called for, for us to mature and grow closer to God. And so the, one of the points here in the very first recap that I'm making is that the gospel isn't the beginning of Christianity. It's not when we step into the baptistry and, and through faith in baptism, accept Jesus as our Savior. Yes, that's the beginning of Christianity. But the gospel isn't just the beginning. The gospel is the rest of your life. Progressing the gospel and becoming a mature Christian is following the gospel and integrating it into your life. Every step of progress in the Christian life isn't because we learn some new truth necessarily or some secret of the Christian life necessarily. Every step of progress in the Christian life happens when we go back and we begin to walk the gospel, which is Jesus plus nothing. Nothing. And we begin to work it into an area of our life where it has never been before. That's how we make progress. And so there isn't a gospel and then advanced Christianity. The gospel is advanced Christianity. And every problem that we have in our life can basically be boiled down to two things. We're either adding to the gospel or we've forgotten it. We're either adding to it, in other words, we're not enthralled, we're not trusting Jesus enough, so we feel like we need to add something to the work of Jesus to be right in God's eyes or right in other people's eyes, and we add to it, or we forget the gospel, and we let what the world is telling us overshadow the truth that we have been given by the gospel. And so If there is a super secret to Christianity, it is always this, the gospel, the gospel. We grow and mature when we look more like Jesus, when we simply let the gospel invade parts of us and corners of our hearts where it's never been before. Now, that is the theology portion of the sermon today. So all of you can say, oh, good. We're done with that. Awesome. Okay." here's what I want. Uh, to talk about. The problem is that we don't always walk the gospel, do we? And we um, routinely will find ourselves falling off of the line of the gospel one way or another. And I want to talk about the two ways that you can go. There's only two. There's a right and a left, right? And when we try to walk the gospel, when he, when we fall when we find ourselves falling off one way or another, um, it's because uh, there are two, two ways that we fail to walk the gospel and they're both seen in this text and they're both kind of personified by groups of people. Uh, the first way that we can fail to walk the gospel is when we add to it, when we add to it. And what adding to the gospel does is it makes us persecutors of people. It makes us a persecutor. And that works like this. If you look in verse 11 and 12, The circumcision group, and that's the group that kind of personifies what is going on here when people add to the gospel. The circumcision group is back, and they are absolutely adding to the gospel. They're saying to the Christians, they're saying, Jesus is great, you need to believe in Jesus, but you also need to follow all of these laws that Moses laid down for us. And if you don't follow the Mosaic laws, then you're not really a true Christian, you're not really saved. And they are adding to the gospel because the gospel is Jesus's work and nothing else. That's what Paul has been talking about. And Peter understands this. When the circumcision group pops up, it's not that Peter doesn't uh, have his theology straight anymore. Peter absolutely understands that it's culture that doesn't make you clean because of his dream in Acts 10 and 11 and because of what happens here, he ate with Gentiles. He does it gladly, because he understands that the gospel brings about absolute equality. Um, and I want to just—I want you to think: what organization on the planet is that true of? Besides the church, I have—I've uh, been able, because of Jesus, because of the common bond that I have with other people because of Jesus. I've been able to sit down and eat eat steak with a NASA scientist uh, at his condo on the beach in Florida. That was awesome. I've been able to eat cake and ice cream with uh, a professional baseball pitcher because his daughter invited my daughter to her birthday party. I have been able to eat breakfast burritos in some of the hottest parts of Mexico, Uh, with a Mexican family where we had to walk down the street a couple blocks to get the milk for breakfast, and we carried it back in a pail. It was fresh, okay? I've been able to eat authentic pizza with Italians in Perugia, Italy. I've been able to eat goat meat and rice with the poorest of poor in India. How in the world does a guy from southeast Kansas get to do all that. It's because of Jesus. There is this common bond that allows us to sit down with people who are totally unlike us. And even in this room, that's true. There are people in here that you you would never sit down with otherwise, but because we have a common bond in Jesus, you are more than willing to do that because he loves you, He knows he loves you. You know, he loves that person across the room. And so we have this common bond and Peter knows this. Peter understands this common bond. But when the circumcision group pops up, Peter reverts to his old ways. He's afraid of what they're going to think. This group is still around because human nature will always keep the circumcision group around. We always want to save ourselves at the end of the day. If nature just takes its course... We will always want to say, I made my own way. We will always want to point to ourselves and say, I accomplished it. I did this. And what Christianity calls us to do is to lay every possible item that might point back to us, that might give us a little credit, to to take all of those things and lay them down. Crucify them on the cross. That's the way Paul will put it in Galatians chapter three, because those righteous deeds, those things that you do, or maybe we could say it this way, those things that you don't do, those things that you stay away from because only sinners do those kind of things. All of those things that might point back to me and give me a little credit. Paul says, put them on the cross, nail them to the cross. That's where they belong, because at the end of the day, they're worth nothing. They're filthy rags. They don't get you any closer to God. It's only Jesus and his work on the cross that does that. Only the work of Jesus is sufficient to save us. And so we have a hard time with that, right? And so circumcision groups will always be around. There's a circumcision group in my heart, and there's one in your heart. And when we buy into what the circumcision group is telling us, that you are more loved by God because of what you do or what you stay away from, then you will naturally become a persecutor of other people. And that happens two ways. First, it happens because you're insecure. When we start pointing to ourselves and say, look what I've done, then we're never really sure at the end of the day where we stand with God. Because how many many things do we need to do? How many items do we need to check off our list? What qualifies as a good work in the, begin, in the first place? And how do I know when I've done enough good works? And so you never really know. And there's no sure standing in the eyes of God. We are insecure and our insecurity will always lead us to point to other people and say something like this. Well, at least I'm not that. At least I'm not like that person or that person. And our insecurity will always lead to criticism of others. It can work the opposite way too. We can determine, hey, look, there's this list of things that I'm doing really well and other people aren't. Maybe you've got a list of four or five really righteous things that, man, you've got down. You read your Bible every day or you pray every day and you don't miss or... Or you're able to uh, have the gold star church attendance, you know, those kind of things. And it's pointing to you, right? And when that happens, you begin to have this superiority, superiority about you. And superiority also leads us to point to other people and start criticizing. Because we're better now than everybody else. And we can point to other people to justify that we're better, to prove that we're better I'm doing these things and you're not. And superiority always leads to pointing to other people and persecuting them, calling them less. And that's what the circumcision group is doing. They're coming into this situation and they're they're telling Peter and they're convincing him and they're telling Barnabas and they're convincing Barnabas that sitting down with these Gentile dogs is beneath you. You shouldn't do it. And Peter buys it. And so does Barnabas. And so does some other people. There's a great prayer. Uh, it's not great prayer, but there was a, a noteworthy prayer. How about that? That was prayed in the first century by the Pharisees. And the circumcision group would have surely fit into this kind of thinking. And the prayer went this way, Blessed are you, Hashem, King of the universe, for not having made me a Gentile. Then they would pray, Blessed are you, Hashem, King of the universe, for not having made me a slave. And the third line was, Blessed are you, Hashem, King of the universe, for not having made me a woman. And all of the women in the crowd said, Boo, that's a terrible prayer, right? Shake your head yes, please. Okay, awesome. Even the guys, you should be, you should be agreeing with that. Okay. That combination of that superiority and just that insecurity about where we really stand with God makes us a persecutor of people. It makes us look outside ourselves and say, they're the problem. They're the enemy. Somebody else out there. G.K. Chesterton read a paper one day and it said it invited articles about uh, what people considered to be wrong with the world. And so there were several articles that were submitted to the newspaper and they all began the same way. This is what's wrong with the world and then they would have their article. G.K. Chesterton wrote in his article and it consisted of two words. The article went this way, what's wrong with the world? And G.K. Chesterton wrote, I am. That's somebody who's walking the line of the gospel. When we walk in the line of the gospel, we understand that I'm the problem with the world. That there's more wrong in here than there ever will be out there. Do you fall into this boat? Have you fallen off the line of the gospel in this way by adding to it? And the good test is to ask yourself, who is your enemy? Who is your enemy? Does somebody immediately come uh, in your mind? Or does some group immediately pop into your mind? If it's anybody except you, if it's anybody but me, and we need to get back walking the line of the gospel. So the other way that we can fall off the line of the gospel is to forget it. To forget it. And when we forget it, it makes us into people pleasers. Uh, look at verse 13. Verse 13 says, Even Barnabas was led astray by what Peter was doing. Peter was shrinking back, distancing himself from the Gentile brothers. And even Barnabas was convinced to do this, we first meet Barnabas in Acts, and Barnabas is first on the scene when the Greeks first came to Christ in Acts chapter 11. So he is no stranger to fellowshipping with Gentile people. He's an encourager, he's loving, he's tender hearted. His name means son of consolation. He is the guy who supported the Apostle Paul in his very first days as a Christian. He was only known to the Christian world as a persecutor of the church, a person who wanted to kill Christians. But Barnabas comes alongside Paul and says to the Christian church and all the Christians out there, this guy is legit. This guy is one of us now. You can trust him. And so Barnabas becomes Paul's right-hand man. He is his strategic partner and he is there with Paul in Antioch and they are leading this church and even Barnabas gets sucked in to what Peter is doing because of the circumcision group. Why? Why did Barnabas act this way? One commentator said this, that the besetting sin of a tender heart is compromise. The besetting sin of a tender heart is compromise. How many of you would rather beat your head against a wall than actually confront somebody about something? Most, most of us are in that boat. Man, we want peace, right? We, just, we don't want to make waves. And so whatever we need to do, and we kind of fall into this people pleaser boat because we maybe have hearts that are like Barnabas's heart. And he loved people. And so it was very easy for him to kind of go with Peter and just go with the rest. And when we do that, it usually means that we compromise the truth in some way. People pleasers have a very hard time being honest with the people around them. People pleasers are people who say that they like things, but they really don't like them. People pleasers are people who go to places with the people they love, and they say that they're really enjoying it when in reality it's the last place on earth they want to be. Oh, I love baseball. Yeah, let's go, let's go watch a baseball game inside. I hate baseball. This is terrible. I don't want to be here, but I love my friend, so I'm going to go to the baseball. People pleasers are that way. Instead of telling people the truth about their desires and their feelings and thoughts, they develop a pattern of telling others what they think they want to hear so that they're still accepted. The second way a people pleaser kind of derails is that people pleasers act out of duty and not desire. They do things for people just because they have such big hearts and they feel obligated to do it not not because they have really a desire to do it they just feel obligated they feel that it's expected and they feel that if they don't then others will get mad at them or think badly of them and they don't want that to happen and so at the end of the day a people pleaser is all about unfortunately enough there's a lot of dishonesty in the heart of a people pleaser there's a lot of inauthenticity Paul calls it, in this text, hypocrisy. Even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. The the word means to put on a mask. We could say it this way. It's about covering up the truth because that's what hypocrisy does. And people pleasers have a way of compromising the truth, covering it up, and putting on that mask. And that's what Paul's talking about here. And when we forget the gospel. When we forget the gospel, we will have a tendency to just go along with the rest because we don't want to make waves and we'll be like Barnabas. Now, how in the world do we walk that line in between these two extremes, these two problems? Jesus himself gives us the perfect balance, the perfect way to walk between both of these extremes. And if you turn to John chapter 11, you don't need to turn there, but if you want to, you can. John chapter 11 is a a familiar text. It's a familiar story where Jesus happens upon his friend, Lazarus, who has been dead for four days. Lazarus is buried in his tomb and Jesus comes to his town. And Lazarus's sisters, Martha and Mary, Both go out to greet Jesus at separate occasions. And the thing that they say is identical. They both come to Jesus and they both say, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Both of them, they say the exact same thing. And the way Jesus responds to both of them gives us a perfect example of how we are to walk this line of the gospel to avoid adding to it and to avoid forgetting it. Here's what he says to Martha. Martha, I am here now. If if you had only been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Martha, I'm here now. I am the resurrection and the life. And if you believe in me, you'll have life even if you die. I'm here now. Because what Martha needed was a little bit of truth. And Jesus is able to give Martha the truth without crushing her. Mary needed something else. Mary came forward and said, If you'd only been here, my brother would have died. And she was filled with tears. And Jesus looked around at the other friends that were with Mary, and they were filled with tears. And so what did Jesus do? He wept. Verse 35. He entered in to what Mary was feeling, and he cared for her through tears but he did so in such a way that he didn't concede the truth. And do you see what's happening here? Jesus is the perfect balance of the two. He's, he's a ministry that is, is able to tell the truth, but he's a person also that is able to cry with somebody when they need tears and empathize with them. He's able to be both grace and truth. We get it wrong because we so often need to tell the truth when in reality somebody needs tears. And that makes us a persecutor. On the flip side, we can so often want to shed tears with somebody when they really need the truth. And that can lead us to end up being people pleasers and people who compromise the truth. And both by themselves are failures. And we tend to be one or the other. But Jesus is able to be this perfect balance in the middle when truth is needed and when tears are needed. I have a little clip I want you to listen to. Hey, 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 what you doing here? Don't you have practice? Not anymore. I quit. Oh, well, since when are you the quitting kind? I don't know. I just don't see the point anymore. So you didn't make the dress list. There are greater tragedies in the world. I wanted to run out of that tunnel for my dad to prove to everyone that I worked. what? That I was somebody. Oh, you are so full of crap. You're five feet nothing, a hundred and nothing, and you got hardly a speck of athletic ability. And you hung in with the best college football team in the land for two years. And you're also going to walk out of here with a degree from the University of Notre Dame. In this lifetime, you don't have to prove nothing to nobody except yourself. And after what you've gone through, if you haven't done that by now, it ain't going to never happen.
0: Now go on back. Sorry, I never got you to see your first game in here. I've seen too many games in this stadium. I
1: thought you said you never saw a I've game. I've never
0: seen a game from the stands.
1: You were a player? I rode the bench for two years. Thought I wasn't being played because of my color. I got filled up with a lot of attitude. So I quit. Still not a week goes by, I don't regret it. And I guarantee a week won't go by in your life. You won't regret walking out, letting them get the best of you.
0: You hear me clear enough.
1: you want to so Rudy 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 right yeah (laughs) wasn't that great that's a balance right confronting and yet did you see the tears did you see the empathy Paul does that for Peter and for Barnabas in Galatians chapter 2 Paul successfully walks the line of the gospel by confronting with care Confronting with care. He doesn't crush anyone, but he points out where they've fallen offline, and he confronts them. And on the other hand, he doesn't concede anything. There's no compromise going here. He calls them to the truth of the gospel, and at the end of the day, the gospel wins. He clearly accomplishes this redirect of his friends with tremendous care and concern. And what we don't get in the story in Galatians chapter 2 is how Peter and Barnabas and the rest of the people who were led astray, how they responded. We don't get that. How did they respond? We just have a clue. We get a hint from Peter himself, and it's maybe proof, um, and it comes from Peter's final written words in the letter that he wrote in 2 Peter, the very closing lines He writes this, count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. Peter, as he is writing to the people he wants to influence, says, you know what? You need to pay attention to this guy named Paul. He's a pretty good guy. And I know some of the things that he writes are pretty hard. They're pretty under, hard to understand. But if you take the time to understand them, they will point you back to walking the line of the gospel. Pay attention. And at the end of the day, here's Paul and Peter and Barnabas, and they're not on opposite sides. They're on the same team, and they are brothers trying to keep one another walking the line. Could we be that for each other? Could we be a stadium janitor when we need to be and to confront somebody and say you're not walking in line with the gospel but do it in such a way that we communicate care and concern and that we're on the same team. That's what Jesus did. Could we be that for each other? Father, I thank you for this gospel that calls us to care but it also calls us to the truth. And that's a, that's a hard line to walk, and yet it is, it is possible. Help us to navigate it the way Jesus would, the way Paul did. Help us to understand what the gospel is, that it's Jesus plus nothing, and how it operates is the same way, Jesus plus nothing. It's in his great name that we pray. Everybody said.